So uh, we are finishing up this section that we've been in in Romans 9 through 11. Uh, We'll transition into 12. Actually, it's going to be a couple months because we're going to kind of detour for uh, a little while into some other things. Um, But we'll pick 12 back up in the fall, which will be amazing. Um, uh, 12, 13, uh, all great stuff coming up. But we're finishing up this section in 9 through 11 where Paul has shifted his focus to Israel and answering questions about the Jewish people because obviously there were questions that came up based on all we've looked at from the first eight chapters. It's like, what is going on now with with Israel? Um, Most of them are rejecting uh, the gospel. Most of them are rejecting uh, this idea of trusting in, in what the Messiah had done by faith. And so is God done with Israel? Is he, is, he, is he cutting Israel off? Is he finished with them? And as we saw last week, he's not done with them, right? He's not cut them off. Paul's a great example of someone who had not been cut, cut off. He, he was a, a, a Jewish man uh, who was a very prominent person in the church, um, and that you could expand that to the apostles and on and on and on, right? Um, and that uh, he just makes a case for the fact that God has not written off Israel, and that in fact, uh, we as Gentiles in this room, right, which I think we've taken a poll before. I don't think there's any Jewish uh, people in the room right now. We're all in the Gentile uh, section that we've all been grafted into the tree. Remember that illustration that, that we're the wild olive shoot that got draft, grafted into the tree and that it would actually make a lot more sense if the original branches were grafted back in. That would be even the more natural thing. Um, and that some have been grafted back in. There's always been this remnant of, of faithful people in Israel, people who trust Jesus by faith, and that exists today. You know, I shared some numbers last week about, about that, uh, and some people I know personally who are Jewish, Messianic Jewish followers of Jesus, and, um, and that... Uh, and that you know, clearly shows that God has not cut them off as a people. Today, he's going to explain, so now if Israel hasn't been cut off, what are God's plans for the Israelite people? Um, and even, you know, we talked about last week how we might be involved in making them jealous for what we have, right? Envious of the fact that we have this relationship with God and how we might be involved in that. So... Um, so, you know, they can be grafted back into the tree. Will they be grafted back into the tree is the question. What, what are his plans for them? So let me pray for us, and we'll, we'll get into that. Lord, um, thank you that we have this opportunity this morning to be together. Thank you that, um, that you have knit together this group this morning. We're missing, missing some people that we love who are, uh, who are traveling, uh, maybe joining us by stream, which would be awesome. Um, and, uh, and we have um, some people that we love joining us this morning um, that, are, that are visitors. Lord, you, you knit us together for this morning, this time, and um, this time to worship you. Thank you for our time and worship of you, and uh, for this time to, to pour over your word. I pray that we would be in a, in a place this morning to receive the truth, uh, to allow it to penetrate us, to allow it to transform us, and that we would walk away different than the way we came and, um, and for my part, Lord, help me get out of the way of your text and, and that it would just be very, very clear and that you would be the teacher this morning. For this all in your name. Amen. 
So Paul uh, starts here in this section. He says, For I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery, so that you will not be wise in your own estimation. This, this word uh, mystery is like, I'm going to reveal this mystery thing to you. Mystery uh, it was actually a pretty loaded word in their time. Uh, there were a lot of mystery religions in their time that were all about secret truth. Um, and, and it always indicated kind of this, um, these truths that aren't readily available to us. We couldn't just access them easily. Um, in this context, he's saying this is probably not something you would figure out on your own. We would figure out on our own. And in fact, left to our own devices, we probably would get it wrong. That's why he says, so that you won't be wise in your own estimation. We, we, we would probably get this wrong. We wouldn't figure it out well. Definitely uh, those in the first century, in the, in the Roman church, you know, you had this mix of Jewish and Gentile believer there. Uh, particularly on the Gentile side, I would think that they probably wouldn't figure this out. This was not the perspective that they had. And so he wants to make this mystery clear. And God has done this throughout time, right? He's, he's had information that's just exclusively his, that, that we are not privy to. And maybe he gives a little bit of, of revelation on it, a little bit, you know, pulls back the curtain a little bit for us. And a lot of times when he's done that, I mean, the, the Messiah is a great example of this, like, like he pulls back the curtain a little bit in the Old Testament, but, but they didn't have the full picture of who Messiah was going to be. And so they started uh, kind of putting putting ends together that didn't really meet together. They, didn't, they weren't the right thing. They tried to figure it out. They tried to be wise in their own estimation, and they got it completely wrong, right? And so he's like, in this area, I want to make sure we get this right and that we have a good understanding of what God's doing, particularly with, with Israel. And so he says this. He says, 26, he says, and so all Israel, no, I'm sorry, middle of 25, that a partial hardening has happened. This is the mystery he's revealing. The, a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved. Here's the mystery. Here's the thing that he's, he's pulling back the curtain on and showing us something. We already have talked about the fact that there's been this hardening that has gone on among the Jewish people, that, that a portion of the Jewish people, and it, it was a large portion of the Jewish people, right, have, have hardened, have been hardened, right? This is the difficult stuff we've gone through in the last few chapters. We're like, we don't like the idea that God's at work in hardening, but it's clear that he is working hardening. Are we at work in the hardening too? Yes, we're at work. This choice and this, his choice and our choice, his will and our, our will, we cannot, we cannot fall on the, off of either side of that road, right? We've got to walk that line with this thing that, that we can't comprehend how both can exist, but they do. Because we'll miss things if we go too far to either side, right? So he's saying this hardening has occurred. This portion of the Jewish people have been hardened. But the important thing he's revealing, he had already revealed this before. The important thing he's revealing is that that hardening has a time clock. That hardening has a limited scope of time. And that time is until the fullness of the Gentiles have come in. Now, I will tell you this, 
There are many things in Romans that theologians spend a lot of time talking about and debating. We've talked about some of those things so far. The, the, this, this end of, chapter, of verse 25 and beginning of 26, there has been a ton of ink spilled on this stuff. A ton of it. And, and, and I think it's because it's a mystery. I'm convinced. It's because he clearly tells us this is a mystery. I'm going to pull back some of the curtain, but you're not going to be able to figure this whole thing out. And theologians, like we tend to do, want to figure it out. So we spend our time trying to figure it out when it's pretty clear and plain what he's saying here. And my encouragement to us is just take what he says and we don't have to figure it out. We just have to take what he says. And this is what he says. That hardening of Israel will end when the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. This means that the Gentiles, once, you know, God's been working, he's been shifting the focus, shifting the, 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 the focus of salvation history onto the Gentiles. That's been a reality for the last 2,000 years, right? The focus has been shifted. Most believers, most of those who follow Jesus are Gentile. And, that, and then you have that remnant of Israel that are following Jesus. He's saying, once God is done doing what he's been doing with the Gentiles, once he's reached the point where he's ready to shift the focus back on Israel, he will shift the focus back on Israel. He will. And then the difficult statement here. This is definitely the statement that gets the most ink, right? And so all Israel will be saved. This is a statement theologians don't like. This is a statement that's hard to swallow because how does that work? That's what we want to know. Like, how does that occur? All Israel will be, how does that even happen? Well, first of all, I would say this. This could mean so every individual Israelite will be saved. It could mean that. I don't think it does. He could have easily said every single individual Israelite will be saved. He could have said that. He did not say that. He said all Israel will be saved. Well, keep in mind, really through this whole, these whole chapters, he's been kind of taking a zoomed out view of history, of reality, of, of how God's dealing with, with people as a group. So I think this is what he's indicating here is, is that zoomed out view again. It's a little bit like, compare it to this. So this is a, an actual uh, front page of the Herald Review and Review, um, and this was the headline on that day, A Nation in Mourning. Anybody have a guess as to what that headline was referring to? Huh? Yes. And we can know that because if you look up in the left-hand corner there, the date is September 15th, 2001, right? Four days after 9-11. Now, the question that we have to ask ourselves is, is this news article saying that every single individual American is in a state of mourning after what happened on September 11th? Do, do we assume that when we read this? No. But was there a general sense in America of serious pain and suffering among us? Yes, there was. And no one reads that and goes, yeah, every single American is just wrecked today. No, that's not, that's not what it's saying, right? 
So I think when this you know, time clock has run out, when this, this actually occurs that he's describing here, you might see a headline maybe like this in the Red Bluff Daily News, maybe not. Israel turns to Jesus. Now, would that headline indicate that every single Israelite in the world has turned to Jesus as Messiah? No, that's not what it indicates. But it indicates that as a whole, that people group has decided to follow Jesus. I think that's what he's talking about here. I think he's saying which is big news, by the way, right? Can we agree? Like, this, this is not how God has been working in salvation history the last couple thousand years. And, but he's going to shift the focus on Israel, and the group of Israel will now be known as followers of Jesus. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be cool? Like, like, I don't know if the actual political entity of Israel will exist in this time. Who knows, right? But if it did, wouldn't it be cool if it's like... That's, that's a Christian nation there in the Middle East. Israel is a Christian nation that's following Jesus. That would be amazing. And that's what he's getting at. This will happen where Israel will be Christian at some point, right? Will be followers of Jesus at some point. Now, will that mean that every single Israelite on the planet, every single Jew? I don't think he's saying that. Still big news, though, Right? Still a mystery that I don't think I would have figured out. It seems to me like God's moved on. Israel was unfaithful for many years, and now he's moved on. But, that's, but he's moving back. Now, do we know the timing of this? Actually, when it's going to happen? No. Do we know how it's going to happen? No. Do we know what the circumstances are going to be surrounding this happening? No. But I'm okay with that. I'm okay with what he's revealed, Right? Now, he's going to, uh, as he has done throughout this section, he's going to say this, you know, this kind of lines up with what God's already revealed in the Old Testament. He says, uh, and so all Israel will be, will be saved, just as it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion, he will remove ungodliness from Jacob. This is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Now, a lot of this is, is, is d- directly from uh, Isaiah 59, uh, it, it's, it's, the Greek translation of Isaiah 59 is where this comes from, the wording comes from. Um, basically, what he's getting at here is that way, way, way back, you know, 700 years before, Israel knew that there was going to be this deliverer that came, this, this redeemer who would, who would take the ungodliness from Jacob, which is just another way to say Israel, the Jewish people. He, he would take ungodliness from them. And he's, and he's, and he's saying, this is my covenant. This is, this is my deal with you. I'm actually going to make you, Israel, a righteous people. So he, he told them that he was going to do this way back when. And Paul's just saying, hey, look, I'm just reinforcing the fact that this is going to be a reality. This is going to be real. Not just for a portion of Israel, but for all of Israel. Um, He goes on, he says, From the standpoint of the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But from the standpoint of God's choice, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Man, I love that. You You have God saying, hey, you know what? People in the first century church... 
it seems to, to you and to me, Paul's saying, that they are enemies of us. By all measurable standard, the, the greater Jewish people would have seemed like enemies to the Christian church at this time. You know, I mean, we have clear examples of this. Paul was involved in some of this persecution of the church, right? You, you had imprisoning and persecuting and, and killing of Christians by Jewish people. They wanted to root out this, this cult of people who were following this guy that they're claiming is the Messiah. They wanted to root them out, and they were clearly standing against them. And they were doing everything in their power to squelch the gospel, to, to get that message out of, of, of circulation, to, to, to manipulate it in a way that it's unrecognizable anymore, which, by the way, we see a lot of in our world today. The, oh, I believe in the gospel. I'm just going to manipulate it into a form that it, it's not the gospel anymore. They were trying to do that. They were clearly standing at odds with the people of faith. And he says, yeah, I know, like, from, from your standpoint, at this point in, in, your, in your life, that the Israelites, the Jewish people, seem like enemies. And by any measurable standard, yeah, they are enemies. But he, he puts in this phrase, for your sake. Because you remember, he had just made a case in the, in the, in the previous part of this chapter that God had refocused his attention away from Israel in salvation history to the Gentile people. He's referring to that again. Like, you benefited from God's refocusing. We uh, that are sitting here this morning, we benefited from God's refocusing of, his, of what he was doing in salvation to us. We stand as those who benefit from that. So even though they're enemies, it kind of worked out for our betterment. But from the standpoint of God's choice, they are beloved. God has not stopped having loving intentions toward the Israelite people, toward his original, the original people of God on the face of this planet. He has not stopped having loving intentions for them. And the reason is, he says, for the sake of the fathers. Because God had made very, very clear promises to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He had made those things. And he had made additional promises throughout time to different people in the community of Israel. And he says, hey, they might not look redeemable at this point. I don't know how you personally feel about Israel at this point. But I look at them and go, man, they are lost. Right? Like, like. How could they miss Jesus, the Messiah? How could they miss that? Well, it's, it's, it's not for their sake. It's for the sake of the fathers. It's for the sake of the promises that God has made to the fathers, to their ancestors. And then he says this statement, and this, this is, if, if this all seems kind of academic to this point, this should not seem academic to us. He says, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Here's the reality. God made promises. And we might think, yeah, Israel doesn't deserve for those promises to be fulfilled. They're not worthy of it. Are we worthy of the promises that he's made to us? No, we're not. But thank you, God, that when you say something, 
it's irrevocable. When you make a promise, it will occur. It will happen. I don't know if you uh, know this, but in, in 2020, more than 83 million tickets to concerts and plays and other events like that were canceled. So, so 83 million people had a, a, a piece of paper in their hand that was a promise that they could get into the Bruce Springsteen concert, right? And because of COVID, they're like, that piece of paper doesn't mean anything anymore. Sorry. Revoked. 83 million, that's a crazy number to me. Like, that's a lot of people going to stuff. Canceled it. God's promises to us, irrevocable, uncancelable, cancelable. Is that a word? Cannot be canceled. He is a promise keeper. It's what he is. Point your hand out if you want to fill it in. Is the people of Israel will eventually come back to God by trusting in Jesus as Messiah and be saved allowing God to fulfill the many promises he has made to their people. Trusting Messiah fulfill. The three blanks there. All right, let's keep rolling. He goes on and he says, for just as you were once disobedient to God, but now have been shown mercy because of their disobedience, so these also now have been disobedient, that bec- these also now have been disobedient, that because of the, the mercy shown to you, they also may now be shown mercy. So he creates this kind of interesting comparison between Gentiles and Israelites. He's like, if you think it's unfair in some way that God is going to refocus his, his salvation plans back to Israel, if you think that's somehow unfair, and, and, and we might. I don't know if you feel a sense of unfairness. I'm a Gentile. I would like my countrymen to, to follow Jesus. I would love for America to turn back to God and, and actually by faith trust him and be a shining beacon to the world of what it means to have a relationship with God. I would love that, right? So we might say, oh, this is unfair that at some point he's going he's to pivot away, focus away from, from the Gentile people to the Israelites again. He's like, if, if you have that sense of unfairness, then, then think about this. You were once disobedient to God. Can we all agree that we were once disobedient to God? I mean, we can just look back and go, okay, yeah, 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 mm-hmm. I was disobedient to God, no question. And you were shown mercy. I was shown mercy in my disobedience. And actually, in a weird way, again, he's referring back to this, in a weird way, because Israel was disobedient and God refocused salvation history on Gentiles, like I benefited from that, like God showed mercy to me, like, wow, I was disobedient, I was shown mercy. You guys get where he's going with this? Like, okay, yeah, they're disobedient right now. 
And they are. I, I know probably, you, you know, there's not a large Jewish community in Red Bluff, California, right? Uh, but, if, but if you lived in New York for much time and there's a large Jewish community there, you would see there's clearly disobedience to, to the God they claim to worship and serve. They're trying to do it their own way. Right? They, they've chosen self-righteousness over his righteousness. We've had these conversations. Like, they've done that. They're clearly being disobedient to, to him. But so were we, and we were shown mercy. And now, because he showed us mercy, do you see this? So these now also have been, who have been disobedient, that because of the mercy shown to you, they also may now be shown mercy. He's going back to this thing, but we've been shown mercy. God has transformed our lives. We are different people now, and we're, we're, we have a role of making them jealous because they want what we have. Because he's shown us mercy, then he will be able to show them mercy. Do you see how it's kind of this teeter-totter back and forth? Like, we were disobedient, and we were shown mercy. Now he's shown mercy to us, and that means that he's going to show mercy to Israel. He's going to bring them around. And this is his main point. 32, for God has shut up all in disobedience so that he may show mercy to all. What a statement. There is no one who can take the high ground here. We can't. There's none of us that go, yeah, that group doesn't deserve God's mercy. Kidding me? We all have been locked away in a pen of disobedience because we are disobedient. Not not in an unfair way. That's where we belong is with the disobedient. Everybody belongs there. And he did that to show us mercy. That he would offer his mercy to all. That everyone would have this opportunity for mercy. Because everyone is steeped in disobedience. Do you see how he just kind of levels the playing field? And goes like, you know, ethnicity doesn't matter. Your, your religious background does not matter. Your, your heritage, you know, for generations, your family has done some particular thing, does not matter. My, my offering of mercy, God's offering of mercy to us is equally applied. Which again, within the context of what he's talking about, sometimes causes some tension for us, right? Hasn't he been talking about God's choice in the matter? Yes. But then he makes statements like this all throughout where he's like, and mercy's offered to anybody who wants to receive mercy. Like, like, we can't put those things together. It's okay. We don't have to put those things together. Is it okay to have some loose ends in our lives, some loose ends in our thinking? I think it is as long as we're willing to, to be humble, as long as we're willing to, to think of ourselves as less than he is, as limited and him unlimited. If we're okay being in that place where we don't have to have everything figured out, we can just accept that both God is the one who chooses and he shows mercy to every single one of us. And it's offered equally. And for us, I don't know about you, but there might be someone in your life who you're pretty glad at this point that they're headed where they're headed. 
that they're not deserving of God's mercy, maybe because of the way they treated you. I don't know. But we need to get off our high horse and recognize we were all shut up in disobedience. And none of us deserve his mercy. But he's offering it to us. And he's offering it to that person too, whoever that is. So either we're going to trust him in, in what he's doing and get on board with what he's doing, or we have the danger of walking in disobedience to what he's doing, right? Point your hand out if you want to fill it in. Is God's mercy is impartially offered to all people. God's mercy is impartially offered to all people. He finishes with this. Finishes with this thing that could be a song. It's like a sort of like a poem, but it doesn't rhyme. He gets to this place where he's been talking about, really he's been talking about a big view of God, right? Having a large view of who our God is, his power and his ability to do what he wants to do. So he gets to the end of this, and, and, and he just kind of vaults into worship, And when he does this, he says some amazing things about who our God is. Listen to what he says. He says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments, how unfathomable his ways. Knowledge is is knowing things, right? Understanding things. We all have different backgrounds. We all have different uh, amount of education. We have all different amount of like on-the-job training on things. We have different, uh, we just have different life experiences where we've come to an understanding of certain facts and certain things and the way things work. And, and, and that's understanding, that's knowledge. But then he says also like God's depth of knowledge is, is, is crazy deep, but also his wisdom, which is 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 how to function in life. I don't know if you've ever met people who are like super intellectual, but they can't even tie their own shoes. You know, like they, don't, they just can't operate in life. They know a ton, but they have no idea how to operate in life. And you have the flip side, where you have these people who have all these street smarts that can figure out how to get things done, but they didn't even graduate high school. Like they don't have the knowledge. Like, like for God, he's, he, his depth is unsearchable how deep both of those things are way beyond anything we could know. I don't know if you have any sort of a sense like I do, but I am freaked out of the ocean. The ocean just is not my friend. Uh, Jaws probably probably scarred me as a kid. Um, I, I just think I don't like the fact that there is a bunch of stuff going on down there, and I have no idea what's going on, Right? Like, do you know, do you realize that only 5%, 5% of our oceans have been explored? 5%. What in the world? Why are we even getting near that thing? Like, like we don't know what's going on down there. That's, that's just freaky scary, right? 
In fact, I don't know if you saw this. This happened a couple weeks ago. Actually, a month ago is when it happened. There was this, um, these people out on a boat, and this shark floats by. That shark is massive. They're stumped. They don't know what shark that is because the largest known shark is a great white shark, and it gets 30 feet at the most. That thing is way beyond 30 feet. And so they're like trying to decide, what, like, what, like what, what is it? We don't know what it is. They're, like, they think it might be a megalodon, which is like an old dinosaur shark. The fact that we don't know megalodons are floating around the ocean, I'm not getting in. Sorry. Um, we're, we're, we're headed to Hawaii here in a couple weeks, and, and they, you know, one of the things on the list of things, like, what do we want to do? Was, like, go swimming with manta rays or something? I'm like, I'm good. I'm, I'm happy. I'll stay on the boat. I'm, I'm good. That was one of my thumbs downs. I, I, it's freaky what's going on down there, right? We just don't know. That's God's knowledge. Way beyond that, by the way. It is freaky what we don't know, right? God, we, we know so little of our world. We know so little of ourselves. We just don't know very much. Um, I don't think I have audio on this because the audio is super funny on this. Maybe I should lip sync. Uh, what they're doing here. But this is from a movie called Journey to the Center of the Earth. Anybody have seen this movie? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so they fall here. And they're falling, and they're falling, and they're falling, and they're falling. And at some point, Brendan Fraser, the actor, he's funny. Oh, you can kind of hear it. He looks up and he says, we're still falling. Because they just, like... Forever, they just fall. <laughs> like, you, you would think you'd hit the ground at some point, right? This is the depth of his knowledge. Like, like no matter how deep we get in, we're still falling, right? Like, it, like, it's so deep. His judgments, the, the way he makes his decisions, we can't even figure it out. Like, we can't even wrap our minds around the way he makes decisions. We're just, we're just too dumb. We're just too limited, his ways are unfathomable. We, we, we can't figure him out. We want to figure him out. And my good friends, good theologian buddies and seminary buddies, they want to figure things out. I want to figure things out, to be quite honest. I want to know. But he's like, his ways are not our ways. Like the way he does things, it's just not the way we do things. He is beyond our comprehension. The only thing we can do is sit and worship to this immensely knowledgeable God. We can't understand him. 34, he says, For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become his counselor? I have. Anybody else become his counselor at some point? <laughs> Like, God, you just don't understand. Really? No, 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 but you don't get how I feel about it. Really? Like, come on. <laughs> yeah. Is there anything that God doesn't get? No, he knows it all. 
I, I, uh, I borrowed a wheelbarrow from, from Glenn. Where's Glenn at? Uh, a while back. Uh, borrowed a wheelbarrow. I borrowed it for so long, he had to actually come get it because I never returned it. Um, sorry, Glenn. Um, but if, if you can imagine, I'm borrowing this wheelbarrow from Glenn, and I run it back over to his house, and I give it to him, and I'm like, hey, you can thank me later. Like, maybe you could take me out for a meal or something. For, for him to thank me for getting his wheelbarrow back to him, like, that's, that's dumb, right? Like, like, no, maybe I should take Glenn out for a meal, right? Like, he's the one who gave it to me. I'm just giving it back to him, right? Have we received anything that has not come from God? Look at 35. He says, or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? Have we given God anything that somehow he owes us anything? No. No. We're the ones that need to be, need to be paying him back, right? Giving back to him just glory and worship and honor for everything he's given us, every breath that he allows us to breathe. He finishes off with this statement that honestly is a statement that my head blows up just thinking about. He says, for from him and through him and to him are all things. Everything you can think of comes from him. He's the originator of everything. He is the, he, it goes through him. It sustains itself by him, and ultimately it's meant to go back to him, to, to, to go to him. He is the supply chain of life, the whole supply chain. He's the source, he's the sustainer, he is the goal of everything that exists in life. It's all about him. And how crazy it is that the fall has fooled us into thinking that somehow my life is about me. Like, what is that? Like, we're just so deluded into thinking that, that what, anything that we ever do is about me. Literally every moment of my life, God is sustaining that for himself, for his glory. Everything I have, he's the originator of. I, I think about this particularly in the, in the area of sports. You guys know I've, I've coached baseball for a lot of years. And the attitudes that come onto that baseball field from the talented players going, look at how great I am. Where did your talent come from, dude? Like, how in the world? Don't flip that bat. Come on. He gave you that ability. The reason why you can even get into the batter's box in this moment is that he's sustaining that talent of yours. And he's doing that so that the glory goes back to him. He's deserving of it. Which is how he finishes. To him be the glory forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. Pointing your hand out if you want to fill it in is we can trust the ways of the one from whom everything has come 
in whom everything remains and to whom everything is ultimately going. We can trust the ways of the one from whom everything has come, in whom everything remains, and to whom everything is going. If we haven't figured out yet that God can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, and we just need to get on board with his thing, like that's what we need to walk away with from these chapters. Just going to read the bottom of the handout together. <coughs> Excuse me. The hardening of the hearts of the Jewish people is both partial and temporary. Individual Jews have been freely offered God's mercy from the first century up until today. Having any attitude that elevates non-Jewish people over the Jewish, pe- over the Jewish people is both wrong and short-sighted. God's plans for Israel have not ended God's promises have not, nor will be, rescinded. In fact, the Jewish people will once again take center stage in God's ever-unfolding plan of salvation history. While we don't have a complete picture of the when, how, or why, we can stand in worship of the God of history, whose ways and thinking are far above ours, our ways and thinking, and the God from whom and through whom and to whom are all things. Some questions that have been uh, on your handout this morning throughout. What assurance does it bring you to know that God never reneges on his promises? In what ways are you thankful for God extending his mercy to even you? And what in your life needs needs a dose of a larger picture of God's sovereignty? I'm going to pray for us. Lord, um, we do worship you. We do praise you for everything that you are, everything that you've given us. May we just remember it's, it's you, it's from you, it's for you, it's meant to be glorifying to you. May we just get on board with that. May we stop questioning your ways or even trying to figure out all of your ways and trust you in your ways, that you are far greater than us, far bigger than us. Your plans for us are far greater than the plans we could put together for ourselves. Your plans for this world are far greater than the plans that we, that we would try to manufacture or, or orchestrate. Help us in our limitedness to recognize your unlimitedness and our weakness recognize your strength and just get on board with what you're doing. We want you to be glorified. We want you to be everything we're about here in this community of faith. Everything you want to be about in this community of Red Bluff, we just want to be on board with what you're doing. Help us to to submit to that and not allow our foolish humanness to to put us in a place where we're questioning your greatness. Pray this all in your name. Amen.